friends, we are here to break the boundaries between the yoga teachers and you. Welcome to Conversations with Yogis. Just a few teachers having a chat over coffee, all things yoga and real life. We are your hosts, Ashley and Melinda. Welcome to our next episode of Conversations with Yogis. Uh, me and Melinda are here and we're welcoming our guest Claire Walters on the show today. Claire is the mind and body master trainer at Third Space, which is a amazing members club all across London. Um, me and Melinda both teach there and uh, Claire, we wanted to talk to you about Uh, what you're looking for in yoga teachers in terms of auditions because you run a lot of auditions at third space and deep dive into that topic and understand what brought you to yoga and we'll just start by asking you to introduce yourself yeah so i'm claire um and yeah as you said i am mind and body master trainer at third space which means i head up all things yoga, Pilates and bar. Um, I've been there for nearly six years and yeah prior to that I was working at another gym where we worked together at Gymbox and um, prior to that I was a professional contemporary dancer so I think there's been quite a journey in my career as to where I've got to now Um, but yoga's been the through line throughout it all. Um, So I started practicing yoga when I was I think 15 and I had an Ashtanga yoga DVD that I would do in my bedroom um I had no idea what I was doing and just was like following along but being a dancer it was like oh yeah this is cool and this will keep me flexible and then yeah I went to dance college and did many of the different studios around London where you could do the 30 day 30 pound Bikram yoga challenges um so I did multiple ones of those um <laughs> And uh, was definitely practicing yoga for all the wrong reasons at that point. When um, some of the cues were like, go back, way back, more back, stay back. I was like, all right, I'm going back and I'm staying back. Um, <laughs> I was very competitive, which uh, obviously isn't the point of yoga. But um, that was where I was at when I was in dance college. Um, and I kind of fell into the fitness industry, if I'm honest. So I was dancing professionally. Um, I had my own contemporary dance company and because contemporary dance isn't the most stable of careers um, I had multiple part-time jobs and one of them was working um, on reception at Gymbox and uh, yeah I just said one day I got sick of having five different part-time jobs and trying to audition I was like I mean I want I want something a bit more concrete I want I want a full-time role like a part-time but salary role I want that and the studio manager role at Gymbox came available. Um, so I took that and then kind of all just happened from there. Um, I've been teaching dance for years and I started teaching fitness and then moved up through the different roles and was then um, head of their creative studio product. So I was in charge of creating their new classes, which if you know Gymbox, they're always wild classes, which was a challenge for me because yeah, I don't know. I'm always like, oh, but how do we make it more scientifically based? So yes, yeah, so I did that. And uh, in amongst all of that, yoga was a thing keeping me sane. Because like, what I realised is I'm not, I'm not built for a desk job. Um, mm. I can't do it. It's not for me. And uh, I think 
it was actually, it was your classes, I think, that were like, I think, was it a Wednesday? Um, Tuesday morning. Tuesday morning, yeah. And that was like, if I go to Tuesday morning, I will be okay. Um, and, uh, and you got me into my headstand. Um, and I was like, hmm, hmm. There's something beyond keeping me flexible with this yoga thing. Like, oh, maybe, maybe, maybe I can teach this now. Because previously I'd always thought, I can't teach yoga because I don't know the philosophical side of stuff it would be really wrong of me to just teach it because it's a good practice for staying supple. And it was while I was really like holding on to yoga to keep me sort of sane that I was like, okay, I get it now. I get it. Um, and so yes, yeah, so I did my yoga teacher training. Um, and then quite swiftly afterwards got the role at the third space, um, which was a leap of, it was a leap of faith and it was like a baptism of fire. Because I was a pretty new yoga teacher, although I'd been doing it for years and I've been assessing teachers for years in my roles at Gymbox, I hadn't been teaching yoga that long. I've been teaching bar and I've been teaching other stuff for years and years and years, so stepping into that role was okay in terms of like the, the Pilates and the bar. I was like, I know what I'm doing, I've created classes, I know how to assess teachers, I know how to audition, that's fine. But I had massive imposter syndrome for that first year at Third Space. Um, my first class was in Canary Wharf in front of 40 people and I was like okay you can't mess this up <laughs> um, but yeah so it's been quite a journey I think um, and now here I'm six years later there's a team of 150 instructors in mind and body across nine, nearly nine sites and Michael opens later this year so yeah Quite a lot of responsibility. Yeah. <laughs> so your, first, your very first teaching class was at Third Space Canary Wharf? Um, I think I taught like small groups, but it was like other instructors or like friends. My first like, and all like on my teacher training. And yeah. I'd done a lot of teaching on the teacher training. And because I'd taught so many other things for years, it was quite easy for me to teach yoga yeah. because I've been teaching. But yeah, my first like big public class was to 40 people <laughs> and they hated me as well because I'd had to take over their favorite teacher's slot because I was employed so I had to have a class so they didn't want me to be there great food. and I was like cool <laughs> okay <laughs> um, but that really quickly became my favorite class to teach yeah um, so yeah yeah it was a massive bats and fire in that respect and also just managing teachers who've probably been teaching for longer than I've been born um and they were like who is this girl coming in as like master trainer um I, I think you can find that in many other like philosophers of bar as well that people been teaching for years and someone who's who's hasn't done it for that long what you have done other things that you actually assess the teacher and also it's it's a very different skill to be uh, hiring people and telling them this is right this is wrong or how can you help them yeah. than actually teaching so but i think some what? people just forget about that part of the job that you actually they be very good at that. And you might be only teaching for a year, but you've been teaching other things for many, many years. Yeah. And you had like a management skill set from yeah. the gym box. Cause I, I forgot about saying that in the introduction that we met through gym box. I think, I don't know if you were there for my audition for gym box, but I remember you coming to my class cause you, it was the Farringdon yeah. one, right? Yeah. Yeah. I remember that class. Like I, oh, that was such a good class. The Farringdon Tuesday morning. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's how we met. And then you brought me on to third space and then yeah. I came in audition there. Yeah. Yeah. 
It's, it's good. She gets memorized. I didn't know that I got you into your first headstand, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I still teach headstand in a very similar way to the way that you teach it. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> That's so fun. Yeah, so stepping into that role, and then you've been at Third Space in that role for six years now. Yeah. Has it actually been six years? Like, that is wild. It is wild. Because yeah. when you said that, it's like, wow, I didn't expect Yeah. Yeah. Six years in December. Yes. So you have to run all of the auditions for all of, not just yoga teachers, but Pilates and bar, and like bar, anything yeah. that encompasses mind, mind and body yeah. classes. Mm. Is there anything else besides what I just said? Bar and Pilates? No, yoga? that's it. Yeah. 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 But within, within yoga, we also have um, sound bath now as well. Um, right. Yeah. The training that was yeah. brought on. Yeah. That was good. I was, I was tempted, but I was like, don't have time and I spent all my money on my house so maybe not <laughs> future one we wanted to ask you like what is it like auditioning so many teachers because you know I've we've both done auditions and both done auditions at third space too so we've yeah. only been on the other side of it but what is it like to host auditions and to you know see so many teachers back to back and we we have a lot of teachers that listen to our podcast too mm-hmm. and people have asked us like how do we prepare for auditions like what do what do the managers want to see how do you stand out yeah so I know different people run them in lots of different ways and I think because I was running auditions at Gymbox for a year or two um so I think I've been running auditions for seven or eight years maybe at this point um and what I've learned during that time is you don't want to make it feel like um, like you're auditioning for X Factor or something like that. You want it to be a comfortable experience. You want people to, you want to create an, ex- an environment where people can shine. You want to see the best out of those people. Mm-hmm. We're really fortunate um, in yoga particularly at Third Space where there are so many yoga teachers who want to teach for us. So we're always inundated with applications. Um, we run our applications on an online portal. So with that, my first recommendation is to make your CV one page um, and make it really clear as to who you've trained with and where you teach um, and what styles of yoga you teach. Because that's the main things I'm looking for. Because you want to know where else they're teaching in London. Um, There's a certain understanding that if you teach at um, lots of yoga studios, that you're a good teacher because especially if they're um, ones when they use class pass, you know, people get reviewed on class pass all the time. So studios aren't gonna get aren't gonna keep teachers on who are getting bad ratings. Um, and then with the trainings, that gives me an understanding as to, you know, have you just done a fitness yoga qualification or have you trained with the yoga people? Have you gone to India? Have you done Yin with Paul Grither or Sarah Powers? You know, looking at who you've trained with gives me a bit of an understanding as to your lineage or what styles, what style you might teach. And to just see what styles of yoga people teach as well is really helpful because sometimes, um, I think Melinda, you were in this category and we were looking for rocket teachers. Mm. We were specifically looking for rocket and yin because um, at Third Space we, we require that you have specific qualifications for those two styles. Some people will say, oh, I did yin in my 200 hour, but yin is its own thing so we want people who've done like a 50 hour in yin um so if i can see oh great they're trained in all the things that we teach at third space that's really helpful 
and then I so for me it's quite the hardest part for me is I get hundreds of applications then having to go through and sort of narrow down who are the people that either I know already who are teaching around London whose classes I might have been to or who are friends of friends um, and then looking at who else has got a really great CV um, and then as a result we usually run a couple of auditions because um, there's usually too many people to get in one go. Um, I typically try and invite 12 people to an audition as a maximum because I want to give people a decent amount of time to teach so that they can kind of settle past the nerves and showcase their personality and their teaching style. Um, so by the time you've got to audition, for me, I already know that you're likely to be a good teacher based on the fact you've done a certain amount of trainings with training schools that we know are good. You teach at other studios that um, uh, have a reputation for having great yoga classes um, or you're their friend of one of our teachers and they've given you a personal recommendation so I really expect people who are in that room are going to be pretty good mm -hmm. so then once you get into the studio it's a case of one of the things that I think people forget about is just your sort of and it's not really etiquette but just how much energy you give to other people obviously it's a it can be a two-hour audition that's a long time and we always say don't feel that you have to do everything but be respectful to others and it's the respect bit that you can see a lot by observing what happens in the room. Sometimes we have people who completely go off and do their own thing. And it's like, why, why are you doing that? Like, be nice and just do what they're doing. Unless it's like, oh, I'm just gonna sit in child's pose, fair. But when you see people throwing in like advanced variations of what someone's doing or in a sun citation, start doing handstand transitions. Like, Sorry. it's not being cued, it's not necessary. I don't need to see that. I'm not assessing you on your physical practice to see you know can you do all of the inversions that are possible that's not what I'm looking for I want to see that you're a team player because we want people who are gonna have a good energy in the, in the gyms when they walk in um so that's one of the big ones that I think people forget about um so just being sort of respectful to everybody else who's teaching because also we all know when you teach if there's somebody in your class who for whatever reason is not giving off good vibes, you know, they've had a bad day. You can't help sometimes but take that person and it throws you off. And that's the last thing you want in an audition scenario. You're probably already feeling quite nervous. You don't want then to have a teacher in the room giving you that energy. So um, that's a really big one. And then in terms of what you teach, um, teach what you'd normally teach, teach your style of yoga. We always ask for a dynamic practice so we don't want to see people teaching yin because um, it's a lot easier to teach yin in some respects than it is to teach a vinyasa practice. Um, so we ask for dynamic um, practices past sun citations, because also I hope that you can teach a sun citation well at this point. Um, and then it's, I don't mind what you teach, whether you teach a hatha flow or a rocket flow or vinyasa, I just want to see that you can cue clearly and effectively, that you've got an understanding of the anatomy and what's safe alignment cueing is um, but with that it's also understanding that everybody is unique so there isn't one cue that fits all and then beyond that bring in some context or so something beyond the physical I know that yoga and gym sometimes gets a bit of a bad rap of oh you can't teach any philosophy you can only keep it really strictly like athletic yoga but we try and make sure that yoga is taught in its entirety at third space so you do bring in the philosophy um, 
And what that means is dependent on the teacher. So whether you come from more of a mindfulness-based um, practice and that's what you want to bring in, or if you're um, talking about the clashes, you know, I don't mind, but bring in something beyond just the asana. And then having personality, because sometimes um, people fall into that yoga voice and just get into this intonation and it's it's then they could be teaching really great flows with perfect anatomy knowledge and all of the context but if it's just the same monotonous rhythm you just switch off from it so somebody who's got personality who people are going to remember our members are really vocal with feedback <laughs> yeah <laughs> and um it's always the people of personality that they that they write in about it's always the people that are funny although I'm not a funny I'm not very comical so I know that my jokes are like dad jokes so they're not going to be like oh Claire's hilarious but um you want someone who just brings something of themselves to the practice so yeah that's what I look for people being respectful teaching and cueing effectively with options offered an interesting flow and then bring in philosophy yeah having personality I think that's quite clear I mean I think that's the hardest part in auditions because you don't know what they're looking for, so you're just so stressed about it. And when I went to third space, because that was my most recent, um, I remember that you started like, I know you can teach it, you teach translations, I know you all teach with teachers, you went through, I went through your CVs and stuff. So just be yourself and just be, do what you do in classes. And I was like, okay. And then the stress went off me and I just felt much more comfortable. And I usually I'm really, because I'm a very nervous and anxious person, so that helped me a lot because you were clear on what you want to see and I was like that's good because then I know what to expect and I'm going to overthink it and then most of the places they're like okay you have two minutes to show everything you know great I don't think I can do that so I think it's quite nice and it's a very good way of giving teachers a chance to actually audition and show themselves Mm -hmm. not just scare them away because that happens yeah your nerves get the best of you and then you like get in your head and you forget your words and like what you're teaching when like normally if you were teaching in class you'd probably be more at ease with yeah. your students yeah I don't I don't really remember my audition did you audition because you guys I did knew no, each no, other. no 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 I did yeah <laughs> okay I came in because you invited me I think to... it was Tower Bridge I think it was the Tower I think I remember it yeah it was in the Mind Body Studio yeah yeah I have no idea what I taught. <laughs> but it was like six years ago, it must yeah. have been. I didn't really... Yeah, I've been teaching at Third Space for six years. Long time. But it, that was probably my last audition. Or maybe maybe Tri Yoga was. But, yeah, they're, they're challenging. They are. Yeah. And then when you're, when you're a freelance yoga instructor, you know, you have to do all the auditions to get into everywhere everywhere individually so it's a lot like I mean I could rattle off so many gyms and studios in London and you get on all the cover lists everywhere and then once you do that usually there's a lot of cover that comes up and you can work through taking covers and then as you said when members give feedback then that's when you guys probably I don't know how your class onboarding process works, like who who yeah. gets given classes or whatever, asked to give them classes. So the member feedback is a really big one, um, just because we know our members are quite vocal. And so we always say to new instructors, 
cover as much as you can so the members and the group exercise managers at each club get to know you. Um, and then with yoga, actually, there's most teachers keep their classes. Some people have been teaching their classes for longer than I've been there in the same time slot. So it's, it's good that we're able to offer classes at off-peak times and we put more and more of those on as we get um, busier and bigger. Um, but it's just as and when the classes come up. And typically if someone's covered that time slot quite a lot, they'll be offered that class because we know the members know them and they like them. Um, but we do try and get the newer instructors' classes as soon as we can. Um, but yeah, cover is... I mean, there's, you could work full-time as a cover instructor at Third Space and you'd be fine um, because there are so, so many mind and body classes. Um, but yeah, there's enough cover going out that you could probably not have a permanent class. If, you, if you're a spontaneous person and you don't mind having a, a no-fixed schedule, then yeah, you could probably, probably get by on cover. But... Yeah, you have so many classes. Mm. That's why when I read the reports of like how many classes delivered, I was like, oh my God, it's so many classes, which is great. Well, I think it also makes sense now to have more classes in part of a gym groups because uh, because you have you can go to bar, you can go to Pilates, you can go to yoga, you can go to different styles, and then you can use the gym and mm. then the swimming pool. So why oh, you would be crazy not to use gyms. I mean, I can understand. Yeah. yeah, it's such a lovely place to work. Well, mm. a lot of, even some of my students I've been teaching, like, last at Tri Yoga, they've been coming over there to Third Space and love it, like, you know, because yeah. everything's on offer. Mm. And, yeah, exactly. And, like, what you said, like, I think, yeah, there, there, there's that stigma that you're not going to get philosophy or, like, the full yoga um, practice at a, at a gym. But, like, I teach... One of my students came up to me yesterday, or not yesterday, last week, and he was, you know, I really like your classes because you're always, like, giving us little breadcrumbs of philosophy. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you, get, you get that there. Like, yeah. It's good that it's changing because I think back in the days, gyms were like, no um, no philosophy, but mm -hmm. I think they're changing and it's good that someone is actually consciously trying to change that. Okay, we still a gym, but we can bring in a philosophy, which is good. And people are open to it, really open to it. Mm. Yeah, as long as, like, we were talking before uh, we started the podcast about, like, if you're going a bit too much into the philosophy, <laughs> it can be a little um, off-putting, like, if you're going full, I don't know, what we're talking about, Kundalini? Kundalini, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, just re read the signs of the gym or the place, or... I think when you audition somewhere, you should kind of know the place you're auditioning to, not just like, oh, I want to get auditioned everywhere because I just want to be everywhere. Like, it's not always appropriate to do everything in every places. Like, gyms that are maybe very focused on looks and it's like very exclusive, very expensive, I'm not going to be really wanting to chant and uh, talk about dieties before class. They might just want to do their, um, do their uh, physical practice and get on with it. So... I think you just pay attention where you're teaching. But if you go to a proper studio where they're teaching all the kind of lineages and they have quite strict teachers, then like, okay, yeah, bring in your expertise, but it's not everywhere yeah. where it's going to be needed. It's Vinyasa, Hatha, Yen, and Rocket, right? And yeah. now it's Sound Bath. Sound Bath, yeah. 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 Did I miss anything? No, that's it for yoga, yeah. Because we used to have Ashtanga, but there's not that many Ashtanga teachers left in London, so... 
And also because it, you don't get a full 90-minute practice, there's not many Ashtanga teachers who are happy to compromise on that. Um, so, yeah. yeah, we don't have Ashtanga anymore, but, uh, yeah, lots and lots of vinyasa. Hot vinyasa is the most popular class. Yeah. yeah. I'm not surprised at that at all. <laughs> yeah. I, I had a Ashtanga class on a Wednesday night, and now it's like hot vinyasa and yin. But still people are asking me about, when are you going to be bringing Ashtanga back? <laughs> yeah, I think because the people who love Ashtanga are Ashtanga diehards. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then there's people who are like, oh, I just want to flow. I just want to do my thing. Yeah. Well, it's true with the Ashtanga. We, uh, we were talking with Lauren that... Um, you know, there's so many teachers who've been te- taught in Mysore teaching Ashtanga. That I, so uh, my uh, basic training was Ashtanga and Rocket, but we always called our Ashtanga Ashtanga Vinyasa because like, you're not taught in Mysore, you, you're t- taught by someone who was taught by someone. So it's just like, yeah. I've never been like, oh, I'm an Ashtanga teacher. So I think, I think it's, it's better to be safe than sorry with Ashtanga classes because then you have... Because I think once I was teaching a rocket class and then a woman came in and she's like, I've been practicing with Patabi Joyce for many, many years. And after with Larry Schultz, I was like, oh, oh pressure's on. <laughs> so it's like a bit stressed about it. It's like, yeah, there are people who've been practicing with the real deal. So I don't want to teach them Ashtanga. Rocket, yes, but Ashtanga, I'm not comfortable. Well, I think, yeah, with Ashtanga, like we were talking about with Lauren, you just have to be practicing it very regularly to be able to teach yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. If, if you're not trained in Mysore, then at least you have to be a big practic- practitioner like you were. So. Still am. Still am. <laughs> love my yeah. no, We all know that. Um, Claire, we wanted to ask you also about... Well, you're not specifically a full-time yoga teacher. You're a manager of the mind-body. But you also teach like a load of classes yeah. per week. And what it's like to be like employed in the yoga sector because most of us are freelance Mm. yeah so I teach 12 classes a week um and then do my management hours outside of that and yeah it's I mean I I teach four classes a day on a Monday Tuesday and Wednesday um and the benefit of being the boss is that I get to have nice time slots I guess yeah (laughs) (laughs) um so yeah, I mean, I love teaching. That's that's the reason I do the job that I do, is that I love teaching, whether it's teaching students or teaching other instructors. It just brings so much joy. So um, it almost feels like like a prize for, um, yeah, you did your management hours, now you can go and teach some classes. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's quite nice to be employed because I don't... I wasn't When I was self-employed, I wasn't very good at uh, the whole tax thing with the receipts and expensing and I just wasn't very good at that um and uh I I like having routine so knowing that okay these are my classes I'm contracted so I'm always going to have a certain amount of classes um I work quite well in that way I know some of my friends who are freelance they like the fact that they can change up their schedule that you know one week they might be teaching loads in East London and the next week they might be teaching in North London because they're covering and um, and they like that. Whereas for me, I work well with structure and routine. Um, I mean, the one thing is that I'm based at one location. I'm, well, I'm based at one gym chain, so I'm not out in the industry. So I'm not teaching at Chai Yoga. I'm not, 
in Durban, I'm not in all the other studios, so I am just seeing members. I'm not then getting to meet people out who aren't a member of Third Space. Um, sometimes I do feel a bit like, oh, I'm just on my own little island here. It's a big island, <laughs> but um, yeah, I think it depends because there's different ways you can be employed at Third Space in particular. Um, so there's uh, almost like a zero hour contract on offer and then there's um, salaried roles. Um, and I think some people really thrive on that because they really just want to be based in one place. Um, they want to teach the same members all the time. They want to have that stability of having a salary. Um, and some people much prefer just being able to change up their schedule, change up their life and see lots of different people. So I think it depends on what you want as a teacher as to whether employed is better for you or self-employed. Um, but the way of the industry is mainly self-employed, so I think it's quite rare to stumble upon the opportunities to get an employee contract. Yeah, yeah, definitely. yeah. That is a rare position that is offered. Yeah, I think it's amazing because mm. when that was rolled out and talked about, I, I've spoken to some teachers who are doing it, and they they just love it. They're like, "This works for me. I know my schedule. Mm-hmm. You know, I have that stability in this." job role and like we've talked on our podcast a lot about like the instability that we have and I always feel like constant third space is kind of my rock yeah. there even <laughs> though I'm not an employee like I've had some of my classes for six years yeah there and then we can go out and do all the other things other things and explore and cover if we want to yeah other places but it's nice that you, you can have a choice mm. yeah yeah. It, even to get one class at one studio somewhere else is so hard and then that's just one class and like obviously you can't live off of that yeah. <laughs> no. you can't even probably pay for your groceries off of that for the month Yeah. so you have to plan, I guess be so many places and it takes so long to build that up mm. and yeah it's stressful I think I think that's the instability of just teaching in many different studios and it's never really guaranteed that your class will be on forever. Like, I'm just going to leave uh, one of my gym class. It's a very small gym in Hammersmith. I've been teaching it for begin- 2016, many years. And I'm like, I really don't want to leave because some students have been there since. But I'm like, oh, just really not working with my schedule anymore. And I'm like, there's a point you have to kind of like, okay, say goodbye to some things. But I was like... I'm still very reluctant, like, am I going to go back after my maternity leave or not? But then you have studios who studios struggle so much at the moment that you never know that. Like, I literally just got an email last week that one of the studios will be closing that I'm teaching and I'm like, oh. So it just, it's, it's always a bit scary. So if you can get the stability and it's, it's lucky and it's a good mm. thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting to see on that end, like, I... I know of three studios that have closed in the last five or six months mm. and then members clubs are like thriving. Yeah. So it makes sense though. It just is it really interesting to see how I mean that was that hasn't changed pre and post pandemic, except people haven't come back to the yoga studios as much. Yeah. yeah. From pre and post pandemic. Yeah. And I think because everything changed, didn't it? I mean, everyone got stuck at home and realised what they were spending their money on 
prior to being stuck at home. And I mean, I know for me, I had a CrossFit membership um, because I was like, yeah, I want to do something that's different and train somewhere where I don't work. But that was so expensive that coming out of the pandemic, I was like, I, I can't afford that anymore. I can't warrant spending that money every month. And I think people maybe reassessed, oh, I'm going to three different yoga studios and paying 20 pounds a class every time I go. Um, or I could do all that at a gym and have a gym and have a swimming pool and have spin classes, you know, whatever it is they want to do, having that all under one roof, under one membership, I think that's where people have maybe taken their focus. Yeah, yeah it makes sense. And there's a strong uh, sense of community there too. Mm. Yeah. Like people are really friends with each other, which I think is really important, especially living in London where you a lot of people aren't from here and so you need to have a strong network of places where you you belong yeah. and people around you who are supportive outside of your work if possible yeah <laughs> wasn't that what the name is yeah space. <laughs> yeah yeah so your first space is your home your second space is your work and then your third space is the gym <laughs> <laughs> yeah no it's good it makes sense yeah, I love that. It's good. Is there any other advice you'd offer to new yoga teachers who are like maybe just starting out? Like, does third space take people from a certain amount of experience? Do you do you need to have before you apply there, or do you take newer people with less experience? Because you were talking about the CVs, like looking at where people work and yeah. stuff. Like what? Because I have some mentees who have just done their yoga teacher training asking me about their yoga CV and what they should put on it. And I, like, dug mine out from 10 years ago. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't even know if I have it on this current laptop, but I found it in my email. And I had put in all my volunteer experience and, like, my first aid certificate and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Like, do you have any advice for that? Yeah, for I, mean, I, I think if you're just starting out... Get as much teaching experience as you can under your belt, um, whether that is volunteer things or even if it's just teaching friends. And then in terms of on your CV, um, the problem at their spaces, well, it's not really a problem, but we have so many people apply that naturally the people who have been teaching for longer and do have more experience and have done more trainings are going to get prioritised over somebody who's just done their 200 hour. It may be the best 200 hour out there but if they've only just qualified and they've not taught a class yet you see that inexperience in the teaching um but that being said I know from my experience I was teaching fitness and dance for I mean I've been teaching since I was 15 so I've been teaching for a very long time before I started teaching yoga so I knew that while I wouldn't be as good as somebody who'd been teaching yoga for ages I still was a damn good teacher <laughs> um so I'm aware of that um so I do try and take into consideration if someone's been teaching other things for a long period of time or if they put, you know, the workshops they've been to as part of their experience, it shows that, oh, okay, so they're not just doing a 200 hour and ticking it off. So I think on your CV, in your experience and your training, put who you've trained with, but also if you're doing, you know, the big chunky workshops, you know, when Jason Crandall's in town or any of the other big teachers, put that on your CV so that all people look at you see if you know, oh, okay, they're, they're serious about the yoga practice. It's not just 
a hobby that they decided to do on the side of their full-time job. Um, yeah, I think it is tricky for some of the big studios where there's lots and lots of applicants because you might just get lost in the mix if you haven't um, been teaching very long, but get as much teaching experience as possible wherever you can um, and list that on your CV. Um, and don't put your other jobs on your CV. I don't need to know if you're a waitress. I, d I get so many CVs coming through where people are telling me what they've done before. And it's interesting sometimes to see, oh, somebody worked as a doctor before and now they've got into this. But I don't need to know the ins and outs of all of those jobs. Um, mm -hmm. I think sometimes people get confused with their CVs because they think of what they did in school where you have to put in September 2018 to January 2020. I taught, oh, I was uh, a waitress at this restaurant and I was responsible for the cash handling. I don't need to know any of that. Um, mm -hmm. If it's relevant to teaching yoga, definitely. Mm -hmm. But otherwise, it's not really relevant in this instance. Um, what's more important is where you train, who you practice with. I mean, if you, have, if you go to a regular teacher, try yoga, put it down, you mm -hmm. know? Um, it's useful for us to know who you're practicing with regularly, who you do your trainings with, um, and yeah, just put anything that you can down on there if it's relevant. Yeah, that's good advice. You just, exactly what you said, like you learn to do your CV, like a general CV, and you have to have like every month and year accounted for on it. Yeah. Like, well, where were you during this time? But I think that's just such an old school way of thinking, because like, especially now as people are growing up from, I don't know, millennials or younger, like you have so many jobs, mm. like, or I did anyway. Yeah. I Nobody needs to know everything. I'd, I've worked at like 10 restaurants and bars. Like <laughs> I, I do not need to put that on any CV. Yeah. It's like accounting for all those hours. But yeah, I know the practicing with teachers that you, or putting down teachers that you practice with. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have thought of that. That's good advice. That's good yeah. advice. I used to put on um, uh, who I cover for because um, I have quite quite a you I train with the yoga people so um, it's a good network of people and then after a while I started to cover their, one of their good like most of their good teachers and I was like oh, I'm just gonna put it down because I don't teach at all those places but I cover them so I was like <laughs> and I was like that's my credit because in the beginning you just try to get as much experience on it as much as you can because especially I didn't come from dancing or Pilates or any other background so you're like. I've never done this before, so I just, whatever I can, I put in there. Yeah. You kind of have to. Yeah. And to, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, and, and to be patient, too. Because mm. I, I know when you're first starting, like, you can take everything so personally. Yeah. Oh, I didn't get into this place. But if, if you don't have the experience and you take into account, like, how many other teachers are out there, like, mm. you just have to put in the groundwork, like... I moved to London. I never thought I would be a full-time yoga teacher when I first started. Like, it was such a grind, and it was so <laughs> hard, and I was doing... But, you like, volunteer work, karma yoga work. Yeah. I yeah. did that. I tried yoga before I... Before... Way before I taught there. Like, when I first moved to London, I yeah. went to apply there, and they're like, who are you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm just... Uh, I just moved here from Canada, you know? And so, I, instead, like kind of got a, a reality check and I'm like maybe I should apply to be a karma yogi and then just get my 
space known there and get the experience of going to the classes of meeting the teachers of London because I didn't do that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I was just brand new to London, so I had no clue who anybody was here when I first moved here. Do you still do they still do that? Can't we go and travel? I don't think so, actually. Because that's because I did the same with Indaba yoga. Because I was like, you can at least meet the big teachers, practice with the good teachers, mm-hmm. and like prestigious teachers. So I did karma yoga there, and I think I thought it was a very good way of learning more about yoga and then showing your face. But I don't know if they still do these things. Yoga Rise does, because when I had my class there, like I I always had karmis coming to my class. Mm, okay. Which I think is great because then you get yoga for free. Yeah. And you just help out at the yoga studio and, you know, help out, take care of the place that you love and respect yeah. and practice at. And, like, those kind of, that kind of work does need to put in. You can't just jump ahead to be, like, yeah. prime time yeah. slot yoga teacher. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure some people can, but it's few and far between. Yeah. yeah. I mean, even when I was teaching fitness classes, I used to have the, the graveyard shifts, the Monday morning and Friday night. Um, and you just you just have to take the classes that you can yeah. at the beginning, and I think you can also depends on which way you go about it because you can just take all the classes that you get offered, or you can be a bit more um, particular with it and teach at studios that you resonate with, where you like the members, um, where you like the environment. Um, so I'd always, if you can, try and practice at the studio before you audition. Obviously, at places like Third Space, that's tricky because you have to have a membership. But even if you can go and see it, so that the first time you're seeing it isn't on your audition day, so you kind of know what the vibe is, or speak to somebody who's a member or who already teaches there. The more you can get to know other yoga teachers, the better, because then you know where are the good studios, who's going to look after you. Because unfortunately, some studios are uh, better with looking after their team than others, um, and you don't want to be working somewhere where you don't you don't like it and you feel undervalued. You don't want to be working at those places. So if you know if you can get a good recommendation from somewhere, then um, you know okay, I'm going to set my sights on working for this studio. I'm going to go and practice there. I'm going to apply and I'll keep applying until I get an audition. And if I don't pass the audition, I'll take on the feedback. If I get feedback and I'll apply again, because mm. um, we've had people who've auditioned at Third Space. Um, weren't successful. I always give feedback to people if they're not successful, because um, I think that's really important. You know, you've given up a couple of hours of your day to come and be in a really vulnerable situation where you're, you know, putting yourself in front of a room full of other teachers and knowing that you're being assessed as someone sat at the back tapping away on their laptop. You know, that's it's not a comfortable scenario. Um, so I always give people feedback and make it really tangible so it's clear what they can go and work on. Mm. Um, some places I don't know if they do do that. You might just get a blanket. No, no. you weren't successful. This was a few very nice because uh, most of the places you don't get any. You're just yeah. like, oh, I'm very sorry, but didn't you didn't succeed. Uh, Triangle does give you feedback because it's just checks you very few people, but they ask quite a lot on their new auditions. I did one and it was very stressful because you had to teach online in person, and then they we had to. There were so many things you had to take in within I think ta- ta- ten minutes. And I was already so stressed because it's, oh, it's trioga, that's why I've been hearing, hearing from young, young age. Um, so, you know, and then in the end, they give me feedback. So I was like, okay, I can already understand where it goes. And, you know, it's not a problem to fail an audition because 
it's you learn from it and also sometimes you haven't done it for so long and then you're like okay I need to go back to drawing board of how to approach it again mm. so it's good that you give, give feedback I think it's very rare it yeah very rare. when I auditioned at Trioga <laughs> that was the that was the toughest audition I, I will never forget that one because like we had to do a, a group class where we took five minutes teaching each other and giving some adjustments and this was very this was just for Ashtanga mm. and then after that we had to go sit with uh, the manager Jenny and Hamish Henry who's like do you know who I mean? Hamish he's like mm. one of the biggest Ashtanga teachers <laughs> in well Europe he has a place in Houston the uh, Mark's place and he's been yeah practicing like under Patabi Joyce and Sharat Joyce for so like, no, 35 pressure. Years. no pressure <laughs> he's the nicest person ever but it was I it was the first time I met him I was like everybody else was scared but I didn't know who he was so I think I had that <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like I kind of thought I'm like uh, is that the the main like Ashtanga teacher it was so we had to go in and with them as individuals and they asked us questions about yoga philosophy and I got asked what the biggest nerve was and to list all the yamas and niyamas <laughs> and I forget what else you know why are you teaching yoga why do you want to teach yoga why do you want to teach yoga here like all of this kind of thing yeah. it was it was quite a full-on interview and then after that we got back into the group and we had to give adjustments to Hamish <laughs> I had to adjust him. We all had to adjust him in dropbacks and Supta Kermasana. Right. <laughs> so good. I didn't do I didn't do good on the Supta Kermasana part because at that point I, I just don't adjust that pose. I don't teach that pose. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But anyway, that that was scary. <laughs> but also I think with with this kind of auditions that are actually like very serious. It's important what, what you audition for because I remember at Trayoga I, I auditioned for open yoga or open level yoga and I, and I remember you were like you shouldn't have gone for that because then you have the overhead like of someone never been to yoga someone's mm -hmm. very injured and like you should have just gone for your rocket or something that you specify and I was like yeah I made that mistake so I learned my lesson but it, it made, you invented the Ashtanga so it made sense yeah I never auditioned for the other types I'm just like after a while, I'm like, can you put me on the vinyasa list? <laughs> yeah, no, makes sense. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to do it anymore. <laughs> have you done any auditions? Uh, probably not for a not while. Not for a very long time. So I think Third Space is probably my last one. Mm. Um, well, no, it was my last one because um, I'm on an exclusivity contract. Yeah, that makes full time. Um, and uh, it was so bizarre because I had the head of group exercise who doesn't do yoga this is back in the day now the head of group exercise is a yogi so it's just yes. really interesting um and I had some of the other master trainers um who obviously weren't yogis they were all like fitness buffs and some of the group exercise managers um and again it was in Tarbridge Mind and Body Studio everything seems to happen there yeah. um <laughs> and I only had 10 minutes and I knew that there was so much riding on it because it was um am I going to get this this full-time job? Am I going to leave the job I'm at now to completely shift company? Um, 
and I'd already gone through, um, I think, two interviews at this point. So I was, I was really like, was like, there's a lot riding on this, and I really want this job. Um, I, I just remember that I had no idea what I was teaching, and it all went by so quickly, and I was just having to rely on the fact that I knew that I could teach. Um, and they're all beginners, so it was. <laughs> It was just a bit wild. I don't really know that anybody was doing anything correctly, but they were following what they were meant to, what they were meant to be doing. But yeah, I think that's the interesting one as well. When you're teaching, who you're teaching in the audition, mm. are you teaching a really experienced teacher who's assessing you? Um, are they doing your flow? Are you teaching other teachers? Are you teaching a group of people who are not yogis? I think that that can throw you off. So I think... I find it interesting when I've had, when I've run auditions in the past at Third Space and they also had a group exercise would be in them. And interesting to see how the people who were teaching, who were auditioning, would then deal with him. Would they just ignore him and just focus on everyone else? Would they go give him loads of attention? And um, I think just teach who you've got in front of you. Mm. And don't be afraid to assist other yoga teachers as well. Yeah. Because you always think, oh, they're yoga teachers, I don't really want to assist because they're, they're all going to be perfect and they know what they're doing. But I know that whenever I go to class, I love an assist. Um, yeah. Like, I know there's certain postures where, I mean, revolve triangle. Like, you can guarantee my revolve triangle is terrible. <laughs> I'm hypermobile, my hips swing out everywhere. And um, I know that if I'm feeling a bit lazy, my bad habits start coming out. So come and assist me. Come and put me into... into um, where I should be I think don't be afraid of that in an audition mm. yeah. you've got a room full of other teachers that can be a bit confronting yeah definitely I think that's what's the hardest in auditions that you like they all know what I'm talking about so if I say something wrong they will know <laughs> so it's it's, it's it's it puts an extra pressure but the more you do it's easier it gets but sometimes mm. it is still nerve-wracking yeah know. and then going over if you're adjusting like if I could imagine if a teacher is auditioning, they're like kind of nervous going over and adjusting you. Like sometimes if you, you can feel that energy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I typically won't join in because uh, I want to make notes that I can, I've got, can, uh, I've got concrete feedback to give to people. Um, but some of the other members of the team, um, the senior instructors who are both yogis, um, they join in. Mm. And then they will report back on, yeah, it was a great assist, or don't really know what that assist was. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, don't assist for the sake of assisting either. Yeah. Like, have intention behind what you do. I mean, that should be something in your practice anyway, but don't just tap someone on the shoulder just so you've, or like, poke them so you feel that you've done something. You know, be intentional around if you're going to assist, assist properly. Because, mm. um, yeah. Um, Somebody, there's a story that comes out all the time whenever we're discussing assists. Somebody poked one of my team's back fat, um, like just prodded it, and she was so, so upset by it. She, she was just like, I don't know what this teacher thought they were doing, how that would be helpful, but don't poke my back fat. <laughs> um, Interesting. Yeah, and I, I'm sure it was meant to be like a directional assist of some kind, but be intentional around it so you know what you're doing. So it's not just that you're trying to make it seem that you've been around the whole room and you've interacted with someone in some way. Mm -hmm. um, yes. Yeah. Yeah, we call it... 
Well, because me and Lauren teach um, adjusting and assisting course, we call it the creepy fingers. Yeah. Don't give the creepy fingers to people. <laughs> it's just like, what? It's just like one little or... No, like you can do, because we, we teach another thing like, um, you know, giving a two finger assist where it's like, it's kind of just a directional, yeah, but, yeah. but intentional, like, yeah. just, like move your knee, like, so you don't have to verbalize it, move your, like, move your shoulder or whatever. Yeah. Put your palm on somebody and do something like directionally if yeah. that's what your intention is. Yeah. Especially when they can't see you, you coming and you're just like, oh yeah, that was good. And then like, mm, no. This makes sense, true. <laughs> do you do people have to assist on additions? Like, do you require that? No, we don't. We say if it's because assist is a whole thing, isn't it? You know, some people refuse to um, touch another person's body unless they yeah. know their practice. Um, so we say if you want to assist, please feel free, but make sure you ask for consent first. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't. I wouldn't ever say you have to do it because sometimes it's not appropriate. So. Yeah, but if you know, if, I mean, there's some teachers who are really hands-on, and mm. that's part of their teaching, in which case, then yes, definitely assist. Like showcase how you would normally teach. Yeah. Um, I've had, I've been, I've been, in, I've been in classes where I've not received a single assist, but I've known exactly where I'm meant to be because the verbal coaching was so on point mm. that I didn't need somebody to come and move me anywhere. So I think if you don't teach with assist, then don't suddenly start doing an audition because then again, if you if it's not something that's in your teaching practice, it's not going to come across well in your audition. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it's something that's important to your teaching, then definitely do it. Yeah, it has to be like authentic and mm. yeah. Authenticity is the biggest one for me, um, and that's where I've got such a thing about the yoga voice because um, I feel that it's so easy in whatever you teach to kind of fall into a presenting role where whether it's yoga whether it's fitness whatever it is that you're teaching it's almost be like a news broadcaster where it's like you've got a teleprompter in front of you just reading your spiel and there's not much of you coming through that where I think particularly in yoga it's all about connection you want to connect with your students we all came to the practice for different reasons and you want to be able to share that in some way um and so I you can tell a teacher who's being themselves and who's put a wall up. And sometimes, you know, if you're teaching 20 classes a week and you're knackered, that wall is going to come up sometimes, and that's okay. Mm. But ideally, you're going to be... It's an energetic transfer, and you want to see that, and you want to feel that it's not, I'm the teacher, you're the students. It's a conversation between the two groups. Um, That authenticity, you can see clearly. Um... In auditions, sometimes if people have been really nervous and then they've their walls come up and they've just kind of gone on autopilot, and then the next person comes up and is super charismatic and is just themselves, it, it changes the energy and you can really feel it in the room. And so that's what you want to aim for. Try and be yourself and everyone's charismatic, whether you're a really large than life personality or you're quite quiet, everyone has charisma. It's just different kinds, so it's a case of allowing that to come through when you teach yeah like Like, that took experience for me to come through because we were talking about this on another episode just you're just trying to get your students from a to b at the beginning and like why i guess maybe it's important to wait to apply to places where you feel like you can truly you know yourself as a teacher you're more authentic in your voice you have a style created somewhat and not just you know 
I, I'm guilty of this too at the beginning where you, you don't know yourself as a yeah. new teacher. Like nobody does, like you unless you have teaching experience already coming in as a yoga teacher, you have to find your identity within that and find your voice. And if you just chuck yourself in the deep end and like, I'm going to apply here with no experience. And it yeah. does, it does, it is obvious. Also, I think you're owning your teaching style because when you cover classes, it's always going to be nerve wracking because people like have their teachers, like how they teach. And then you, you turn up and you're like, Oh, who's this person? So I think you have to kind of be like, all like, okay, this is how I'm going to teach. It might be different than your teacher you liked. It's just going with it. And then people will get on board by the end of it. Even you said like you went to the first class in Canary Wolf and you're like, who's this person? I don't want them to be here. But if you just own, own the space that, okay, I'm going to do this, there will be some people you might upset, but also at the same time, most people will get on board because it's, it's your energy they're flowing with. And I think that's when, when you get that confidence in teaching is the best thing you yeah. best feeling as well. Yeah, and if you're charismatic too, people appreciate that. Mm, yeah, yeah, definitely. You can tell, because if you're just very straight, like stuck up there giving instructions, I think the, the students, like, feel they feel it. Well, it's the same when you were saying that if you teach 20 classes a week and then you put a wall up, that's when I notice on myself when I'm getting close to burnout. I'm just like on autopilot teaching or, or getting yeah. upset about what one of my students is doing. It's not their fault. It's me. It's I'm tired. And I'm just like projecting my problems onto them. Like, okay, I need a holiday because I taught too much, too much energy exchange and I have nothing left for me. So yeah. I think it's, that's why I think it's hard that we, some, some places we, like the payments, we were talking about payments are not very good in lots of places. And then you have to teach like so many classes then you get burnt out. And then it's really affecting how you teach and how you interact with people. So it's a hard balance to be a full-time yoga teacher. Mm. So being employed by someone sounds like a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we'll shift and see. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, I feel like it made me really ready for auditions now. I'm like, okay, now I know what I would do. It's like, do I want to do auditions? I mean, I can't, but... <laughs> yeah. I think what you say about owning your own style... Um, it's so important because you come to everyone comes to yoga for a different reason. Everyone mm. comes to teach yoga for a different reason, um, and everyone's got their own favorite teachers, right? Mm. And sometimes it's because you love the style of yoga they teach. Like, if you really like a dynamic practice, you're going to go to particular teachers who you know you're going to be upside down for fifty percent of the practice. If that's what you like, you'll go to specific teachers for that. But it's also personality. Um, and then sometimes it's you get philosophy, like your student was saying that oh, I love your classes because you, you weave it in. So I think just remember what it is, why you teach yoga, remember your why and own it, mm -hmm. own your style and just remember that it doesn't matter that you're different to somebody else, that, that's what makes you unique and that's what people are going to love about you. So I think there's always, especially in London, there's so it's so easy to compare yourself to other teachers and be like, oh, but I don't teach enough upside down stuff. Like I'm, I don't teach inversions, or you know, I'm I'm not teaching really really dynamic practices. People aren't gonna want to come. There's so many people who come to yoga, and that's only getting bigger and bigger. I mean, I can, like, at third space, mind and body is the biggest category. It's got fifty percent of all of the timetables of mind and body classes people want that 
Um, so it doesn't matter if you're not teaching the same as some of the really big yoga teachers. If you're teaching something different, there is still a market for that and people will want your classes. So own your style. Yeah, and it comes across if you're trying to people please or trying to teach something that is not authentic to you. Just yeah. But on the flip side, there's pressure from studios to keep your classes full, which yeah. we've spoken about before. And it, it, it's, um, yeah, it's a difficult situation to navigate your way through. But once you do fully come into your own voice and your way of teaching, you're going to attract your audience. Yeah. Like you just have to persevere and, and you will. Yeah. I think it changes as well. I mean, I'm a very different teacher now to when I first started teaching, you know, and that's because my yoga practice has changed. Um, like my personal practice now is much more yin. Um, so I'm, I'm not the person to go to if you want to be doing all the crazy inversions and um, binds and arm balances. You know, there was a time when like, I was the arm balance girl. Like, you wanted arm balances? You came to my class. I don't tend to teach as much of that anymore. Like, I can. Um, I'm happy to do it. But, yeah, come to me for yin. Come to my yin classes. That's where my practice has taken me yeah. at the moment. And, and it'll change again, I'm sure. Um, but, yeah, I think just be really authentic because that comes across. And adaptable and you will change over time. Like, yeah. even, like... I notice how I've changed with, you know, the amount of experience and also just getting older and recognizing like how your body changes and yeah. like, cause I'm going to be 40 in a few months and it's, it's like, you know, you're not young forever. And as much as I, um, you know, I don't want to admit it. I feel my body changing in the fact that it's like harder to maintain strength. I feel like more just sensitive, sensitive. I don't know how to really describe it, but I feel like the strength that I build goes away a lot faster and then my muscles feel a bit more, I don't know, like they don't stay firm as longer. Mm. If that makes sense. I don't, maybe you guys haven't experienced this yet because you're younger than me. <laughs> I mean, wait, I wait for it. Wait for it. <laughs> God, I think our body's concentrate. I mean, I could say because of pregnancy as well, like doing a crow, doing something is like, this is very hard. So adopting your practice. Also, you can get an injury. Yeah. Like one of my friends broke her big toe and she couldn't teach for two months because she's like, I can't do anything. It's like, you would not think that breaking your big toe would stop you teaching, but she's like, just was too much in the way. So I stopped teaching for two months. It's like, fair enough. But yeah. you don't think about these things and anything can happen. Yeah. I mean, that's essentially why I stopped doing so many arm balances. I got a wrist injury. Right. And um, you then realize, oh, you should risk quite a lot in yoga. Um, and yeah, you, your practice adapts and your teaching style adapts mm. and you become a bit more empathetic to everybody else and the things they've got going on. For me as well, my practice changed when I realised that as much as I love doing some of the really big postures and like really pushing my body and that takes me to a place mentally that meditating doesn't, for me, with my lifestyle with living in London and it being so overwhelming all the time, actually a quieter practice served me better and as much as my 18 year old self would not be happy with it <laughs> like pushing myself into crazy postures and trying to go deeper it's not it's not serving my body anymore um and a slower more of a more of a slow practice is actually the way through for me 
but equally there's always going to be there's always going to be things that you have to do like when you're first starting out you're going to have to teach some classes that you don't like teaching yeah. you're going to have to teach um really hot sweaty dynamic vinyasa classes when you really just want to do a yin class or you just want to lead a sound bath and I think it's good to be adaptable to have those skills I think I'm at the place now where I can say I'm I'm more of a yin teacher because I've done all the other stuff I've taught the really dynamic things I've taught half the classes I've taught classes where we do lots of pranayama and I've you know I've done all of that so I can say actually no this is more my focus now and this is more my speciality now yeah um but it is a journey to get there yeah absolutely definitely yeah and it's 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 okay not to teach everything because also you can be jack of how, how they call it, say jack of all trades jack of all yeah. trades not all heads yeah because <laughs> so like yeah because you can't and you shouldn't you just you have you're gonna have your good skill set those few classes and that's good yeah like we've talked about like you know encouraging yoga teachers to not just get a million trainings just so they can teach more classes which which is fine if you like still figuring out what you want to teach and specialize in that but um you know getting some skills to support yourself as a as a business an independent business because that's what you are essentially unless yeah. you are full-time employed which is rare mm. yeah because there is such a, a culture of just collecting trainings yeah yeah um, definitely. I think I mean trainings are so expensive you know it's important to it's important to keep training and to keep developing yourself but be careful about what trainings you choose because it is a big investment and there are trainings out there that are better than others and that mm. are gonna nourish you in other ways I think that's a big topic we've been talking with Ashley that there are so many teacher trainings are offered now. So if anyone like even like just doing a two hundred hour, you're like just do your research, just check where you put your money in because it's just such a big business now. Just want to make sure that you actually how the graduates are coming out, how like, they're coming out, get the feedback from them. Do you know any teachers coming out from that school? And you know you have to give chances for new schools as well. And I agree on that. But also like yeah, it's just so many teacher trainings out there and. You can just spend so much money and then come out and like, oh, well, I'm not sure if I can actually do this. So it's Or not know where to start because there's no skills to to run a business, yeah. <laughs> which neither we found out that way too. Yeah, but yeah. I think back in the days, they didn't teach business. They taught yoga, yoga. I yeah. mean, I love my training. So, it, But yeah, I think that we don't have enough time with 200 hours to get taught everything. No. I so. think we had one afternoon. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> one afternoon of like, so this is how you run a business, this is what you can do, this is what you can charge. And that was about it. Yeah. I think we had that too, and I was just um, yeah, very basic. But none of us are business I mean I was never a business person. Still not. I'm like don't like to talk about think about money. I just like just come to my class, I just wanna teach you. <laughs> like but you have to have to put your business hat on because otherwise you can't survive in London. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you, Claire, for thank coming you. on and talking to us about all of this. Super interesting. Mm. And I'm sure like loads of yoga teachers will find that like really valuable to know. Yeah. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We really love creating these episodes. And if you enjoy it too, please leave us a review. We are a small team and would like to reach more people. If you would like to meet Ashley and I, we will be hosting a retreat in Norfolk next April from the 18th till the 21st. 
It will be a long weekend dedicated to you, escaping the city, restoring and resetting. We are also looking to add more dates for our retreat calendar. If you want to stay in touch, you can sign up to our newsletter, either on Conversations with Yogi's website or the link below to sign up to our personal newsletters.